Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Well, this section that we just read contains what I believe is the center of the whole letter. The whole point in which Paul is writing. Paul is giving Timothy a charge. He's telling Timothy what he's called to do. And then he gives him the reason for this charge. Why why is he charging him with this? What's its purpose? And then finally he gives him how he will accomplish it. How is he going to do what Paul is calling him to do? Now, this morning what we're going to do is we're going to look at what this charge is. What is Paul calling Timothy to? And then how does that relate to us? Because this is a very specific charge to Timothy. And we don't want to rush over that. This is given in the Scriptures. Paul is speaking to Timothy. But I do believe this is applicable to all of us because the Holy Spirit preserved this Word for us here this morning. So we're going to look at how does this charge that Paul gives Timothy, how does that apply to us here today? And what's, what's its purpose in our lives? And how then will we accomplish this? So what's the charge? Why is it given? And how will we accomplish it? So first, what is this charge? What is Timothy called to? Well, we find this in verse 6 and then in verse 8. Verse 6, For this reason, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Paul's calling Timothy to fan into flame, to ignite to passionately use this gift of God that was given to him through the laying on of hands. So the next question is, what's this gift that was given to him? Well, if you'll flip over just one or two pages in your Bible, over to 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is the first letter that Paul writes to Timothy. And in verses 13 through 15 of chapter 4, we find Paul saying this, Until I come... Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, devote yourself to them, so that all may see your progress. So we see here that this gift that was given to him focuses on this teaching, exhortation, preaching. Do not neglect this gift, but in fact, devote yourself to it. The gift that he's calling Timothy to fan into flame is the gift given to him by the Spirit to preach the Scriptures. Okay, flip back with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. And and now in verse 8, Paul adds to this. He says, Therefore, because of the power of God, do not be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Okay, so here we can add a few things to the charge. Do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. Ashamed of what? Well, do not be ashamed about the testimony of our Lord. Do not be ashamed about the gospel. Nor of me his prisoner, Paul, who's in prison on account of this very testimony about our Lord. Timothy, don't be ashamed of the Gospel, 
or about the results of preaching the gospel. Suffering and prison. In contrast to being, not being ashamed, right? There's that word, but. Don't be ashamed, but share in suffering. Share in the result of unashamed gospel preaching. Suffering. And this charge to Timothy comes with a very real example. Paul himself. If we look down at verse 11, after summarizing the Gospel message, Paul says, for which I, because of the Gospel, I was appointed a... Pro- uh, a uh, sorry, I lost my place here. Uh, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. You see, all the elements of Paul's charge to Timothy are present in Paul's very life and ministry. I'm not ashamed of the gospel or the results of the gospel, which is my suffering. And so now I call you to preach the gospel in an unashamed way and share in the results of that, the suffering. So if we put this all together, Paul is charging Timothy to fan into flame the unashamed preaching of the gospel through suffering. It's going to come through suffering. This is a call for Timothy to add oxygen to the fire of his gift. To fan it. To let it burn. Let it engulf your life so that you end up like me. Unashamed for the gospel. Ready to preach it no matter what the consequences may be. And he gives him this encouragement, this very specific encouragement, because of the threat of suffering. Remember, he's writing this letter from prison. Paul's in prison for preaching the Gospel, and he's nearing death. Tradition tells us that Paul was beheaded in Rome for his faith. So we're not talking about small things here. This is akin to what our brothers and sisters around the world are facing whether in North Korea or North Africa or Indonesia or China, we, the church global, united as one, face this kind of daily persecution. And our brothers and sisters are on the front lines losing their heads like Paul. Now you can understand why Paul in verse 8 says, we have been given not a spirit of fear, He says that because Timothy has a real reason to be afraid. There's real persecution and suffering. Paul also in this letter talks about a different kind of suffering that comes into the ministry that I believe he has in mind here as well when he says share in suffering. In chapter 2, he compares the work that God has called Timothy to. He compares that work to that of an athlete, a soldier, and a farmer. These are hard jobs that require a lot of physical and emotional energy. They're not easy. The ministry is not a place to cruise and have fun. It is hard work, and it may cost you your life. That's what Paul's calling Timothy to. 
Now, what does that have to do with us today? We we don't want to jump too quickly away from the text that is very clear and specific, Paul charging Timothy. And that's really important. But I do think there are ways that we can extend that application today to all of us. And I believe the application goes beyond just preachers like myself and Bob and Brian, though it's very applicable to us. We must fan this flame, fan into flame this gift of God in our lives and proclaim the gospel unashamed, without fear, and through suffering. As I was preparing this message, I thought, maybe I should just stand in front of the mirror and just say it to me, because I feel like Timothy, and I need this encouragement. I need this. I need to fan into flame what God's doing in me for the sake of the gospel. But I, but I believe there are things that we can all apply from this passage, and I believe there's two specific ways this can be applied to everyone today. First, preaching and teaching is not, th- those aren't the only gifts given by the Spirit to the church. Uh, Romans 12, 4 through 8 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them then, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. 1 Corinthians 12 has a very similar list of spiritual gifts, and the promise of the scriptures to you is that if you're a Christian, if you're a part of the body of Christ, the church, you've been given a gift by the Spirit for the good of the church. And probably more than one. God is generous. So what is your gift? What is your gift? Back when we were in the Life Together sermon series in October, Pastor Bob preached a sermon on 1 Corinthians 12. And I encourage you to spend some time this week. Go back and listen to that on our website. And refresh yourself about what is, what is the gift that God has given me by His Spirit for the good of the church. After that sermon, we had a spiritual gift test. A tool that was used, that we could use to, to spark conversation, right? It's not a surefire tool, but it's a tool for us to use to spark conversation about how has the Spirit gifted me and how can I use that gift in the context of the church global and this particular local church. So if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you have a gift given to you by the Spirit for the good of the church. And you need to be charged. Fan into flame your unashamed gift through suffering. Fan it into flame. Are you using your gift for the common good of the church? You know, so often I think we experience uh, what we call burnout from our gifts. We, we, we experience fatigue, or, or sometimes we simply get bored and we want to experience something new and something fresh, something exciting. Friends, your gift, your service, your mercy, your generosity, your time, your caring heart, your listening ear, whatever the way in which God has gifted you by His Spirit for the church, it's needed. 
It's needed in this local body and in the church universal. And Paul would charge us today, when the fire burns low on your gift, fan it into flame. When the fire burns low, fan it into flame for unashamed use. And do it through suffering. Oftentimes, our service is hard work. It's like that of an athlete or a farmer or a soldier. It's hard work. And the threat of persecution is not simply for pastors, but for all the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us, if they hated me, they will hate you. This isn't really the sort of seeker-sensitive message so far this morning, right? And if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, you might be thinking, this guy is nuts. Who would sign up for something like that? Well, you're starting to ask the right questions. So hang with me. Because hopefully we're going to show you why someone would sign up for something like this. Why we're all bought in on this. As we unpack the reasons that Paul gives Timothy as he uh, exhorts him with this charge. Well, the second application for us today with this charge, I believe, is our own personal evangelism. The gift that Timothy is called to exercise is the formal preaching of the gospel in the office of elder. That's something very distinct. However, all throughout Scripture, there is the, the example of everyone in the church sharing the gospel. We see this all over the place, that there are numerous examples of people who just go when suffering comes and hits the early church, they scatter, and it says that just some men went and preached the, church, or preached the gospel, and a church was planted. Just ordinary Christians taking the gospel to those in their spheres of influence. Friends, whether or not you feel gifted in evangelism, you're called to share the message of Jesus Christ and Him crucified with others. And I would argue as well that some of you are particularly gifted in this way. And maybe you neglect it. And maybe this morning you need to be called to fan into flame this gift. You know, I think so often when, we, when it comes to evangelism in particular, we think if we're gifted in this, it will come without fear. It will be really easy, really comfortable, and really natural. That's not the case. And, and I think we can see that from this charge. Paul calls him to not be afraid. Because it always comes with fear. It always comes with difficulty. I'm terrified every time I share the gospel. But I do it because God's called me to. Not because it feels so natural, but because it's hard work and I need to fan into flame this gift of the gospel and give it to others. It will not be easy. And it will strike fear in us, which is why we need to fan it into flame. It won't work if we don't give it oxygen. Now we're going to get at the how here really soon. How, how do we do that? But first, let's look at the purpose. Why does Paul give us this charge today? Why did Paul give Timothy the charge? Well, Paul told him to fan into flame the unashamed preaching of the gospel through suffering for the advance of the gospel. Why does Paul call Timothy to this? Well, we see it again in verse 8. 
Do not be ashamed, but share in suffering for the gospel, for the advance of the gospel. In other words, the reason that you're to do this, your motivation for this, is for the sake of others experiencing the gospel, for the sake of gospel ministry advancing. It shows up again for us in chapter 2, verse 10. If you just flip over just a tiny bit, chapter 2, verse 10. Paul speaking says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul does everything that he does so that as many people as possible will be won to Jesus will experience the salvation that's only offered in Him. I'm willing to endure all of this hardship and suffering, Paul says, because God's called me to be the means by which others come to know Him. This really is an incredible declaration, isn't it, of something very mysterious in our theology. Do you see the tension in this this phrase that Paul uses here? The tension between the absolute sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man is present in Paul's statement here. I endure for the sake of God's elect that they may obtain salvation. Wait a second. They're God's elect, right? They will obtain it. That's what election means, that they will obtain it. And yet, this is a conditional statement. I endure so that they obtain it. There's an incredible tension here, and this is the tension that the church lives in. God is totally sovereign and will bring about His purposes so that all of His own, all of His own that were chosen before the foundation of the world, all those who have had their name written in the book of life, the book of the Lamb who was slain, all of those will be gathered. And yet, all of them will only be gathered through the preaching of the Gospel as it comes through suffering. The preaching of the Gospel, faithful preaching of the Gospel, so that those who hear it would come to faith. That's the means by which it happens. God is sovereign over the ends, the elect being gathered in, and the means by which that would happen. The faithful preaching of the Gospel, which often comes through suffering. You know, so often our questions about God's sovereignty are, well, if God is sovereign, why do we pray? And why do we share the gospel? And the answer is, because God is sovereign. That's why you do it. Because God is sovereign. Why pray and share the gospel? Because God is sovereign and He has declared that salvation, that the the salvation of the elect will come only through this means. If we don't do it, It won't happen through us at least. It will happen, but it will happen through someone else. And it will happen through someone. That's how God has designed the universe to work. That the salvation of the elect will be accomplished through the faithful preaching of the Gospel. And Paul's motive here is to be included in that advance of the Gospel. God will do it, and He has chosen weak vessels like you and me to accomplish it. What joy that is. Just as there is fear that strikes me every time I share the Gospel, there's something I pray for every time. 
And it's the joy I feel after I share the gospel. Because there is nothing like introducing someone to Jesus. There's simply nothing like offering salvation to someone and seeing God use you to work in their life and they grab hold of salvation in Jesus Christ by faith. Well, what does this purpose mean for us? This is Paul's purpose in giving this charge to Timothy. What does it mean for us? Well, friends, it means that our gifts are used for the common good of the church, but not only that. There's a purpose behind the common good of the church and the building up of the church in our gifts. And we can't stop short and miss that purpose. It's for the sake of the faith of the elect among all the nations. It's not so that we can sit here and be comfortable and fed spiritually. It's so that we can be on mission with God. Jesus has a mission, and He's invited us to be a part of that mission. And the exercise of our gifts in the context of the church is for that end. So that those who don't know Jesus may be one to Jesus. We're on mission. We're called to engage in it. The church then is not the recreation house or the community club of a nation in a time of peace. No, it's the outpost of God's mission in enemy territory. The church is the outpost of God's mission in enemy territory. Now, let's be careful here. Sinners in the world, non-Christians, those who don't know Jesus that are outside of this room or in this room are not the enemy. That's not the enemy I'm talking about. Ephesians 6.12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. We seek to rescue sinners from this present darkness. Which is why we're not given a spirit of fear, but of power. Yes, power but also of love and self-control. And it's why our mission is not accomplished through the sword, but through suffering. So friends, fan into flame your unashamed gift through suffering for the advance of the Gospel. For the advance of the Gospel. Are you here part of this church only for you. Only for you and your family. Friends, we've been blessed to be a blessing and to seek and save the lost. So let's get to work, Church of the Lord Jesus Christ, on the mission that God has called us to. Now, all right, this is, this is hard. We have to admit that this is really difficult. This is not easy. And so you may be sitting there saying, okay, I'm in. I'm in on the mission. I'm ready to go. But my fire's burning out. I don't know how to keep it going. I don't know how to fan this into flame. Or, or maybe you're thinking, I don't know about that. I, I don't know that that's, that's worth it. I like... The, the comfortable Jesus that saves me from my sins and then lets me live in comfort. I like that. Or maybe you're, you're not a Christian and you're thinking, 
this guy's still nuts. I don't know why anyone would do that. Why anyone would follow a king that would call them to that kind of life? Well, the Apostle Paul offers us a fire bellows that can blow air onto our weak faith and fan it into flame. It can add oxygen to this flame. And he does it by explaining how this can happen. He says to Timothy, fan into flame the unashamed preaching of the gospel through suffering for the advance of the gospel by the power of God in the gospel. By the power of God in the gospel. Again, verse 8. Do all of this that we're talking about. Not be ashamed, preach, suffer, all of it by the power of God. And then in verse 9 and 10, he beautifully expounds on the Gospel, explaining the power of God. And he finishes with this great encouragement of how this has happened in his life and what now he clings to. And he does it by focusing on three things. God's purpose in the Gospel, God's person in the Gospel, and God's power in the Gospel. First, God's purpose in the Gospel. Verse 9, God saved us not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace. Friends, God does not save us because of our works. He doesn't save you because you're so wonderful that He needs you on His side. Or because you're so moral that you've earned eternal life. That's not why He grants it to you. Or because you're so smart and theologically precise that you've made it in? No. The only reason anyone is a Christian is because of God's grace. God's grace is His unmerited, unprompted mercy and kindness extended to those who deserve His wrath. This means it's totally free. God gives it. It's totally free. And he gave it, Paul says, not only not because of your works, but also, he says, before you had faith, before you wanted Jesus, actually before you were born, actually before anything, he gave it to us in Christ Jesus. The text says, before the ages began. In eternity past, God gave us grace in Jesus Christ. He set His love on the church. Anyone who has faith in Jesus, you and me, He set His love on us before the foundations of the universe were laid. He chose to set His love on you. And He did it for His purpose and not yours. So how does this offer us hope? Well, before God created anything, when He was perfectly happy within Himself and the persons of the Trinity, He decided that He would create a world in which the pinnacle of His creation, you and I, mankind, would rebel against Him and that He would redeem some from within this rebel race at great cost to Himself. He would come to earth in the person of His Son Jesus and He would take on flesh. The God who created the stars would fall asleep under their light. The God who created the sun would sweat under its heat. The incredible mercy of God. And then beyond that, He would take our sin upon Himself. 
our rebellion against God and die on the cross facing the complete wrath of God against the sins of His people so that they can have eternal life. All of this was the purpose for God in creating the world so that He could bring glory to His Son in redeeming sinful people like you and me. Oh friends, this is the only thing that can bring oxygen to the flame of our faith. And if this does nothing for your heart or for the exercise of your faith and the exercise of your spiritual gift, pray earnestly that God would change that. Pray that God would speak to your heart through His Spirit, through this Word that His Spirit inspired, and ignite the flame of your gift for service for the advance of the kingdom. This is it. This is the oxygen. God's purpose in the Gospel. We're saved by God for a purpose. So let's radically align our lives to that purpose. And God will be faithful. Well, it's not just that there's a a purpose to the Gospel. There's also a person at the heart of the Gospel. Verse 12, Paul says, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom... I have believed. Whom I have believed. The gospel is not merely a set of truths to believe or a set of moral teachings. It centers on a person. Jesus. A loving, wonderful person who is fully God who took on our, on our flesh becoming fully man. A person filled with glory and majesty and power. A king worthy of all praise and devotion who chooses to use his authority to get on his knees and wash the feet of his disciples like a slave. The person in whom the whole universe holds together right now. Your lungs are held together and continue to take in breath right now because Jesus is actively speaking, holding the universe together. This person is at the center of the Gospel. And he takes center stage in the the drama of the Gospel. His life on our behalf, His death in our place, and His resurrection which promises us our resurrection. Go back to verses 9-10 through 10 and, and listen to the way in which Paul explains the Gospel and the way he highlights Jesus. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of His own purpose and grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the Gospel. Jesus is the one who brings us life. Jesus brings us immortality, eternal life. And this brings us to the great hope and encouragement to continue and endure. Because Jesus is in control of the universe. I can endure suffering and fulfill my ministry because I know who's in charge. Jesus. And I'm in relationship with Him now and forevermore. He can guard me 
and what's been entrusted to me until that day. That's what Paul says, right? He can guard, he is able to guard until that day. That day being when Jesus will come and he will judge the living and the dead. You see, Paul is bringing to the forefront for Timothy that all of history is heading to this day when Jesus will return victoriously. If you read Revelation, He comes on a white horse wearing all white with a sword. He will come victoriously to judge the living and the dead. And the hope for Paul and for Timothy and for you and I, the hope for us to endure suffering until that day is that we know that person. We know Him. Friends, do you know Jesus like that? If you're not a Christian, this is the point that I've been asking you to track with me till. This is why anyone would do all this. Because it centers on the person, Jesus. And He's worth it. And to not be on His side in this is to be liable to face the wrath of God against your rebellion against Him on that day. But I'm here to herald to you good news. The King has come and made a way for all rebels to be reconciled and brought into His kingdom. Come to Jesus. If you have more questions about that, talk to me after the service. I'd love to talk with you more. Well, not only does a person with a purpose stand at the center of the Gospel, this person has the power to accomplish what he says he'll do. God's power in the Gospel. Paul says he is able to guard. He's able because he's powerful. Which relates back to verse 7. Fan the gift into flame, for God has given us a spirit not of fear, but of power, of love, and self-control. Now friends, let us not forget the rest of this passage, right? Which comes through suffering. Right? This is power, power in the hope that Jesus will come one day victoriously, but that day is coming. It's not now. That's why Paul's calling him to endure through suffering. When we hear power, we must not We must check our hearts because we're prone to take what our culture would say about power and put it into this. We're not exempt here in the West from suffering and persecution. So the power he's talking about is not us winning a culture war or winning a political campaign or building an empire or getting everything we want. No, it's by winning people to Jesus and being willing to suffer and endure as we extend the love of the gospel in self-control to those who recklessly hate Jesus and us. Revelation 12 talks about Christians overcoming Satan himself in this way. Verse 11, And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they love not their lives even unto death. This is what we need. This is the kind of power we need to not love our own lives so much that we're not willing to face death. But be willing to face death for the word of our testimony about Jesus. Not being ashamed 
but conquering in power by the blood of the Lamb. We must lean on God for this power. So friends, filling this out for us finally, fan into flame our unashamed gifts through suffering for the advance of the gospel by the power of God in the gospel. We're about to sing about these great truths in one of my favorite hymns, A Mighty Fortress. And so I pray that as we sing this, that you would let these truths sink deep down into your hearts. And that God will use this hymn like a bellows to blow sweet oxygen, the sweet oxygen of the gospel, into the flames and the fire of our faith, so that we would, as the hymn says, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still, his kingdom is forever. Pray with me. Father God, we pray that you would make this true. We are here for your glory, for the advance of the gospel, so that by all means, God, you might use us to save as many as possible. Would you help us commit our lives to this task? And would you now, by the power of your Spirit, work that deep within us to shake this world for the gospel, for the glory of Jesus and the good of your church, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.